The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. All right. How are you doing, by the way? I'm uh, better. I'm uh, on my, uh, I'm recovering fine. Uh, I have one of the most uncomfortable procedures Mm -hmm. in my life last Wednesday. I, I, okay. You recall, I think, maybe that uh, I have I had two stents put in me. Yeah. One going up to the left kidney, one going up to the right kidney. The left kidney, that stent came out last Wednesday. So I went in and I had this, uh, well, the urologist was there. They said, I don't know how you're going to get this thing out. And he says, don't worry, we got a stent puller. Okay, what does a stent puller look like? All I know is that it went in through the front door, up into somewhere, grabbed the stent and pulled it out, which was, my God, a terrible feeling. Then you're going to you're going to appreciate this. I want you to go to pornhub.com right now. Pornhub.com, yes. And I want you to type in Yes. S O U S N D N D I N G. Oh, 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 oh. Gotcha. Why did you make what, what? Oh, oh, I can't even see that. <laughs> All right, step by. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Live from Studio 3B. Now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes, Spotify, and GeoCities. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guests Sting. Like it or not, we are living in the age of the algorithm. We'll look at how machine learning systems for YouTube, Facebook, and Reddit are amplifying lies and hate. This, after Dr. Katie Bowman was targeted by angry white males for her contribution to history's first photograph of a black hole. And we'll tell you how deep that hole goes. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Are you all super excited that we actually now have a photograph of a black hole. Uh, yes, it was very interesting, although it doesn't look like anything I thought it would look like. Uh, the best thing I saw uh, was a cartoon. Oh, for f- sakes! Hello? Listen to this. Oh, is, is this the, the, the Chinese uh, call? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that's about either. That's the third one today. All from different numbers. Yeah, I block them every time they come through. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to try this again. All right. Shall we do the show now? Let's do the show now. Okay. I'm going to turn this silent. Here we go. Okay. So you're super excited about the fact that we now have our first photograph of a black hole, although it, it, it wasn't really what I thought I'd be looking at. It's a little underwhelming when you look at it as just a photo. I mean, the funniest thing I saw was uh, a cartoon that showed exactly how they got this photograph, which was basically a guy with his pants down on a photocopy machine. Yeah, there there is definitely a sphincter-like look to it. My favorite version, though, was when you pull out, it reveals it's Snoop Dogg pulling on a blunt. <laughs> There's a, you know, a lot of memes that go along with it. But no, it's a very cool thing because uh, the amount of processing power that was required to actually make this image viewable was incredible. It was too big for the internet. So what they had to do was load all these hard drives on an airplane and take the hard drives to a place where the image could be rendered uh, because otherwise it would have taken forever over, you know, uh, you know, we're going to HTTP. Yeah, well, it was two petabytes. 
Five. Five petabytes. Yes. Which is essentially five million terabytes. Yes. Which a terabyte is a million gigabytes. Fine. You do all that math. I always get lost in it. But yeah, it was big. So no surprise. But having said that, we are now working on a next stage high speed internet that would be capable of transferring that kind of content. That's still about 10 years away. Mm -hmm. But uh, you're right. These massive hard drives had to be shipped off. And there's this great photo of the computer scientist Katie Bauman in front of all of those hard drives. And it really kicked off a backlash. Uh, it started on, on Reddit. At geeksandbeats.com, we've got Krista Sampson reporting on this real problem of algorithms in, in this age when it comes to finding content, whether it be YouTube, Reddit, or what have you. Um, she's pointing out that there was a big backlash against uh, Bauman, largely from the, you know, the angry white male contingent that had argued that she was taking credit for the work of an entire team. And at no point does she ever take credit for the work of an entire team. If anything, the media, myself included, have some blame to be assigned to making it seem like she was the brains behind the operation and the only one involved. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have so few great stories in science that involve women explicitly that when a woman makes a substantial contribution to any given project, it's important to spotlight that. It's important to show the world that women are just as capable as men in accomplishing all of these grand tasks. When I tweeted the photo of her next to uh, the photo of um, Margaret Hamilton, who was one of the programmers for the Apollo mission, standing next to the printout of her source code, someone pointed out that she wasn't the only one working on that, that men were working on it too. And it just, it, it sickens me to think that there are people out there who feel the need to denigrate the contribution that women make because um, we're not fairly representing that woman versus the men who are involved. And all it does is forget that we have thousands of years of history of denigrating women and thousands of years of history of minimizing their contributions to anything. And then, you know what? If the pendulum swings a little too far the other way every once in a while, Mr. Incel, tough luck. You know, it never even occurred to me. I saw that she had contributed to the creation of this photo through some algorithms and some other stuff that she had written. And I thought, oh, great, good. And I, it never even occurred to me that she was a woman. It was just, just, this was a very brilliant person who contributed something very, very cool to a very, very cool project. But, and then when I started reading about all these, these trolls on Reddit, who for whatever reason felt they needed to go after her, it was like, what? Wait, I, you're kidding, right? Are, are you threatened by this? Are, are you somehow offended by this it just oh they're completely offended by this <sighs> and the thing is is that i i understand where the pushback is is coming from uh, particularly when it comes to the incel pushback and if you're not familiar with that the incel is a contraction of involuntary celibate and it's a, a class of men in this world who blame women for them not being able to get laid right and you know that that's a, a huge rabbit hole in into itself but I remember being a teenager, involuntarily celibate. And the involuntary side of it came from the fact that I was just simply socially incompetent. Mm -hmm. Me too. I, you, know, you and me were in the same boat. 
incapable of talking to a girl, let alone um, convincing a girl that I was someone worthy of, you know, taking the clothes off. And I got over that at a, at a fairly early age in, in high school, recognizing that it was me who was the problem, not the women who didn't want to have anything to do with me. But we have an entire class of men in this world who never grew up, who never recognized that women can't be blamed for not being interested in you. I, I agree. And we could get into a very long philosophical discussion about why this is and why these people tend to gravitate towards certain websites like Reddit and 4chan and wherever else. It's, it really is, is kind of sad. But I think that for us um, in, in this realm at Geeks and Beats, I, I think the focus might be more uh, useful if we, we talk about what it is that, that raises the profile of that kind of vitriol and anger in the first place. I have no idea. I'll tell you exactly what it is. Oh, okay. It's algorithms. It's completely the algorithm. And, and Krista Sampson points this out as well. Uh, she points out that when you do a search that there is that black box at YouTube or any other search engine type system that we don't truly know about other than those who actually work on it that has a, a natural bias that we weren't really aware of when we started machine learning algorithms and started taking this big data and using it to make decisions. And the decisions that are being made are what gets put in front of your eyes when you do any particular search. She pointed out uh, at geeksandbeats.com that the first four links on Reddit point to who Katie Bauman is and what she discovered, but the following seven links are all sexist white male propaganda. And what we've found is that the incels themselves, the trolls of this world, have started to figure out how to game the system such that their content comes up. And, and whether it be an, an incel taking a shot at a woman who's made a big contribution to a massive scientific discovery, or if it's something as, as simple as a political campaign and people having one particular view versus another, the, the trolls have figured out how to game the system so that their content filters up to the top. Well, this is a guess what we saw with the 2016 U.S. election and other elections around the world as people figure out how to disseminate fake news. Precisely. And so what's happened is we've stepped back and recognized that machine learning algorithms are only as intelligent as the data they get fed. And in many cases, the data that gets fed into a machine is biased. And that bias can be uh, sexual, it can be racial, it can be classist in its nature. At uh, Futurithmic, my documentary platform, we addressed this head on with a data scientist named Sandy Pentland. And he had a very interesting response to the concern that we take big data that is inherently biased in one way, shape or form. And how do we ensure that we remove bias from it? And his answer was very interesting. He said that we, we have to audit not just the data, but we audit the auditors themselves, the people who are making these decisions. Are, the, are the, the, the rules that we've set in place in our world for whatever the issue may be, are they fair? Are they accurate? Are they in and to themselves biased or unbiased? And at the end of the day, it all comes down to human nature, not the data. You can't blame the machine for being racist or biased, whether it be hiring somebody or providing a list of search criteria. At the end of the day, it's the people who are feeding that machine that are biased, and that's the problem. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, 
maybe what we need to do is use Bing. <laughs> because it's virtually incompetent? <laughs> because nobody else is using it and nobody's gaming it. Well, let's let's check that out. Let's go to Bing.com and we'll type in uh, Katie Bauman and see what comes up. Okay, go ahead. And I will use DuckDuckGo. Okay. Wow, that's not bad. What? Um, the the top entries here are all quite level-headed. Uh, we start up at the top with um, her page on uh, the CSAIL uh, site of MIT, uh, the Computer Science uh, Artificial Intelligence Lab site. Then it goes to her Wikipedia entry and uh, the Guardian article, an article from CNET, the BBC, the New York Times, CNN. What have you got? I have, we start with uh, the woman behind the black, a BBC story, then a Wikipedia story, and then a New York Times story, then a story uh, from MIT, uh, and then another one from CNET, then we go to The Guardian, Washington Post, Time Magazine, and Heavy.com, CBS, and then I'm off the page. So on the Wikipedia entry, I am looking up um, the revision history, and the revisions go through the roof as far as list. I bet. So if we go back as far as April 10th, I'm looking at easily 500 edits. No kidding. 500 edits. And a lot of it has to do with people removing uh, troll-related content hmm. uh, from it as well. Um, most of them have to do just with fleshing out her, her page. But things like um, reorganize, no substantial additions here, uh, removed for troll, uh, clickbait aggregator, does not meet standards, uh, things like that. Mm. And so it was, it was very interesting because I also had a conversation with Jimmy Wales of Wikipedia. Um, he used to say that, uh, he said that he used to wake up in the middle of the night with cold sweats when he first launched Wikipedia because he was afraid people would deface the entire site because it was possible to do that. But what he realized and what helped him sleep through the night was the recognition that while he was asleep and if somebody did deface a page, somebody else in Australia or wherever uh, was awake and fixing it so that by the time he woke up, everything looked just as good as it did when he went to bed. That's the interesting thing about Wikipedia. It really does have a community that polices just about everything. I ran across something today. I was working on an ongoing history project, and I actually saw for the very first time a piece uh, of defaced writing, or, or, or I saw something that somebody nobody had, caught that nobody caught. And uh, so I'm going to go back later today. It's a small thing. It had nothing to do with with uh, libel or slander or anything like that. Just some gibberish that somebody had put in for the mm -hmm. sake of putting in gibberish. That's the first time ever in all the years that I've been using Wikipedia that I've seen something like that. NBC News uh, quotes a software engineer who worked in artificial intelligence at YouTube and had a role in introducing diversity to the video recommendations and started working on that literally nine years ago. And according to NBC News, that the problem with introducing diversity to the YouTube video recommendation engine is that watch time fell through the floor as a result. So they had to shut it down and Wait, it's what do not you mean? used. People weren't, weren't paying attention? Well, because we are more interested and inclined to consume incendiary content. Yeah, that's always the way it's been. Just ask anybody who's going to listen to a radio station or run a radio station with a shock jock in the morning. 
Right, exactly. Um, th that whole idea that uh, I'm never going to listen to that guy again. That person tends to be the one who listens to them all the time. In a similar vein, we are four times more likely to share fake news than we are to share real content. And we are highly unlikely to um, go forward and admit error when we share something that's wrong. Well, that's like Doug Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He says that nothing travels faster than the speed of light with the exception of bad news. Yes, exactly. Um, and then there's that, that line that was attributed to um, Winston Churchill that actually isn't his line that goes something along the lines of um, a lie can make its way around the world um, before the truth even gets out of bed in the morning. Something like that. And so with that, the software engineer had built a system that weeded out a lot of that those bad actors uh, on YouTube, but because people weren't consuming that content, the overall watch time went down. And because that was a metric that was important to YouTube, they pulled the plug on this. So mm -hmm. the quote is that we, this is dangerous because we have an algorithm that's gaslighting people to make them believe that everybody lies to them just for the sake of watch time. And that, um, Things like flat earther theories, the the Katie Bowman situation, things like that, they end up um, amplifying the incel troll response to a far greater degree than the broader public believes. Like, you just ask yourself, how many people are on Twitter? And you might think that, based upon the level of discourse on Twitter, that this is how all of us are talking. How many people are actually on Twitter? Oh, I think it's 250 million, 300 million. 126 million daily users. Yeah. And that is literally only half of the United States, not even half of the United States. And that's uh, those figures are for the world. So if we looked at Twitter as evidence of how the world thought, we'd get a really skewed view. And we're getting that same problem because these algorithms are looking at issues like how frequently people view a video, um, how long they view it within that video after they've clicked it, how they've shared it. And because we are willing to consume incendiary fake news content at a far greater rate than we are the real stuff and share it with the rest of the world, those algorithms are putting that fake news in front of our eyeballs at a greater rate than they should. Well, this is the problem with Facebook, isn't it? Precisely. And how's that working for Facebook? Well, it's not working very well. Many people, there is this big movement for everybody to delete their Facebook pages because they realize that they're being fed a bunch of lies. And the people that don't really realize that they're being fed a bunch of lies are the ones that are creating even, they're, they're amplifying, they're magnifying everything. And this is not going away. The Americans have their next election coming up uh, in what? 2020. 2020, so in less than two years. And uh, we have an election coming up later on this year. Plus, there are other elections around the, 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 the world. Just because we're talking about the fact that people are meddling in elections using social media and other online resources doesn't mean that they've stopped. In fact, they've probably accelerated and become even more sophisticated in the way they're manipulating these algorithms, which is really, really scary. In the United States, um, we have this understanding that the Russians had interfered with the presidential election. What is up for debate is to what degree it was successful and whether or not it would have gotten Trump elected regardless. But they've got their heads in the sand about the issue in the United Kingdom. In Britain, the investigations into Brexit have revealed this kind of meddling as well. But the Brits are pretending it never happened that way. Yeah, there's a great movie on HBO with a uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, that 
went into this whole pro-Brexit campaign and they use Cambridge Analytica stuff, just as like they did in the United States. And as a result, uh, there was a narrow margin of victory for the Leave campaign. I'm looking at this infographic, uh, courtesy of Social Media Today, that talks about the current state of the algorithms and what the focus is on each of the major platforms' algorithms. For Facebook, for example, the algorithm is the news feed that focuses on what they call meaningful interactions. And the reason why is to put more emphasis on posts from friends and family and content that generates conversation. With Twitter, the algorithm is uh, based on tweets ranked by time posted and the relevance to the user in the hope that it shows relevant content in their feeds. As a sidebar, it doesn't work. The number of Faith Goldie, racists, white supremacist type content that makes it into my feed just because I follow people who also follow a white supremacist is absolutely mind-boggling to me. I cannot believe that Jack Dorsey is permitting this kind of vitriol to be spread simply because I know someone who's a drunk uncle who follows all of these racists, and now I'm getting racist content presented to me too. Again, it's that amplification, right? LinkedIn, the algorithm is content ranked by engagement and connection strength. The idea being is that you want to showcase strong business content. And then Pinterest is guided based upon the previous user interactions to find more content that they care about. All of these algorithms are failing in one way, shape, or form. There is something that we talked about many years ago called ego casting. And this was this idea of searching out things online to which you only agree. So you continue to work within this echo chamber that you create yourself because you only want to read about stuff that validates your worldview. That was before all these algorithms actually came into play. Now that we have robots telling us what we, you know, feeding that particular need, that desire to, fee, uh, to, to give us stuff that we only agree with, again, exponentially, we, we find ourselves trapped in these, these, these bulletproof bubbles of misinformation. The problem with that is getting out of that bubble is very difficult. Trying to convince the social media companies that create these algorithms to tweak them is a, a tough road to hoe, largely because they're getting revenue coming in the door based upon their existing algorithms. And as the example cited by NBC News about trying to introduce diversity to the YouTube uh, search results, if you've got revenue coming in the door based upon your current algorithm and you tweak that algorithm so that it is more fair more accurate and weeds out the trolls the incels and all the fake news if your time on page goes down if your watch time falls if your revenue declines are you going to fix that problem and create a new one with a decline in revenue you answer to your shareholders you are not going to make changes that damage the revenue generating model. You also run into the problem of free speech because if you are a free speech absolutist, you have to allow everybody to say what they have to say, regardless of how distasteful that might be. In the United States, nothing beats the First Amendment. If you start weeding those people out and maybe putting some filters on some of the comments and replies, then you run into accusations of censorship, which creates a whole new series of problems and doesn't make the original problem go away. So I don't know what to do. 
I, first of all, anyone who screams censorship um, over Fifth uh, First Amendment rights uh, can go f quite frankly. These are people who are abusing, in the United States anyway, uh, the language of a law that actually has nothing to do with their argument. It permits them to speak their mind without the fear of repercussions from the government. I'm, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying that this is the argument that will come up and it creates a whole new can of worms for everybody involved. And in the end, nobody wins except the trolls. XKCD, the webcomic, did an excellent takedown on the trolls who talk about the right to free speech. And it goes, public service announcement. The right to free speech means the government can't arrest you for what you say. It doesn't mean that anyone else has to listen to your bullshit or host you while you share it. The First Amendment doesn't shield you from criticism or consequences. If you are yelled at, boycotted, have your show canceled, or get banned from an internet community, your free speech rights are not being violated. It's just that people listening think you're an asshole, and they're showing you the door. Yeah, that's exactly that's that's a great interpretation of it, and perfectly correct. The ultimate problem is within the algorithms. But the bigger problem is within the business model of the media providers who see their revenue decline when the business model-based algorithm is tweaked to be more fair, more accurate, less biased. If it's going to cut into their revenue stream, do you think they're going to follow through with it? Remember back in the early days of the Internet when all these people were saying things like, oh, the Internet is going to open up the world to an exchange of free speech and ideas and concepts, and we're going to live happily ever after when it comes to uh, information and knowledge and opinion. We're going to learn to live with each other because now we can all talk to each other. Yeah, so much for that. If there is a, a silver lining or at least a light at the end of the tunnel, I put all of this to Wikipedia's Jimmy Wales because the future of the episode is called um, the, um, the Future of Truth in the Age of Alternative Facts. Mm -hmm. And it'll be coming out soon. But the, the, the point that he made to me that gave me a, a sense of optimism was a variation of the line that Mr. Rogers used uh, to describe his reaction to the September 11th attacks where his mother said, you know, whenever there's something like this that goes on, Look for the helpers. There's always helpers. And in Jimmy Wales's uh, opinion, he believes that we're seeing the pendulum swing away, that we're, we're recognizing the horror and the dangers of Facebook and of all these other social media platforms with algorithms designed to fuel our hate and anger. He said, we're starting to push back against that. We're starting to recognize that, particularly within the millennial community, because a, a boomer is four times more likely to share fake news than a millennial. And his hope, his expectation is that in part, we're going to age out of this fake news issue and that companies like Facebook are going to recognize that if they want to remain relevant, if they want to protect their business model long term, they're going to have to make these changes now. Otherwise, we're just going to abandon these platforms on mass. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. This uh, as, as more people age into adults, the people who grew up with the Internet, with social media, with being connected to the Borg hive, once those people are in the majority and understand how all these things work, then maybe we'll see some change affected.
London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. The conversation we had about shifting people from Patreon to PayPal as a means of promoting and supporting the show. Is that having any effect? It seems to be having an effect. More and more people have been choosing to support the show via PayPal, which means we get all of that money, not, you know, all of it minus two and a half percent or so. And we don't have the nonsense of having to worry about this, that or the other thing. So we appreciate the support that we've been getting as of late. We still continue to uh, receive support via Patreon. As a matter of fact, uh, we just got a cash injection that's going to help us with our big Cosmo Fest promotion. Excellent. Yes. We're going to go and get a banner that we can put over our booth where we're going to be broadcasting live July 1st. So if you are a Torontonian or find yourself in the greater Toronto area, uh, July 1st, we will be there. Is it June 1st? June 1st, yes. June 1st. Uh, yeah, July 1st. I'm thinking, what What happens July 1st? There's something important July yeah, it has 1st. nothing to do with us. But yeah, so June 1st, we're going to be live at Cosmo Music Fest. And it's a fantastic opportunity to not only hear some great live music, uh, and if you are a musician, to open up your wallet and buy some sweet swag or gear. But you can also see us uh, do the actual show live. Mm-hmm. As interesting as that might be. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how interesting that's going to be, but you you can meet us and at least claim you did and get a photo taken with you. (laughs) Because the last time you and I went to these events, no one was interested in in a picture with me. Uh, That that was true. (laughs) Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes and watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.